Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for the, the beauty of the day, the Christmas in the air, that the heavens declare your glory, the weather uh, that we're experiencing proclaims your goodness to us. We often overlook it, the simple things that you do that um, loudly proclaim your love for your people, your love for humanity. Father, we thank you for your word that tells us that the greatest manifestation of your love is the cross and what you did for us there. And as we explore that a little bit today, would you give us hearts that receive it, that are open and humbled by the overwhelming goodness that you've shown us in Christ. Give us wisdom to understand and hearts to receive this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we've been on Leviticus 16 for the past couple of weeks. Uh, the first week we went through the, um, the, just the, the mechanics of the ritual of the Day of Atonement. Last week we talked about one of the themes, which was um, how the people were to receive what God has done for them on the Day of Atonement. We talked about it was, how it was a picture of justification by faith, which we see expressed in the New Testament, but that it has always been an undercurrent in the, um, in the revealed wisdom of God to have um, His people trust Him by faith. Um, the people were instructed to demonstrate a heart ready to receive what God had prepared for their restoration. But today, I want to explore another theme that's, ex- that's expressed in this chapter, that of atonement. Um, or in New Testament terms, the work that Christ did in His life and death to earn our salvation. You see it very clearly expressed in this passage. How is it expressed in this passage? What's the, what are the pictures that we see on the Day of Atonement by way of review? How, is it, how would that... Well, the word's used several times, right? It's the Day of Atonement. What's the picture? What, what, what are some of the pictures? Do you, what's that? They're, they're there. Something's going on in the tent. Yeah, the high priest meets with God in the Holy of Holies and, and something happens. There, he, he brings with him what? The blood. Animals to sacrifice, right? The blood has to be there. And in the process of doing that, something happens. What does he do before each sacrifice? Do you remember? Let me do the visual. He lays the hand on him. Why? Transference of guilt. For himself first, and then for the people. And there's in several places he does this. And there's one scene in particular, dealing with a goat, where he does this with both hands, right? He puts both hands on the goat. He confesses the sins of the people, in effect, transferring their sin to this goat, and they do what with it? Send it away. Send it into the wilderness to not return. That's right. And it says, this makes atonement for them. The whole day is about atoning for sin. Historically, and that that word is used of Christ too, right? In the New Testament, we see that, atonement. Historically, thinkers in the church have described what Christ did in various ways. Um, One particularly creative person said that it was a a payment uh, to Satan for us. His origin had that theory. Interesting. Uh, Others said um, that that it was a tribute offered to God to restore His lost honor because of humanity's sin. Others have focused on the great example of Christ's life as His chief accomplishment. 
Still others have emphasized that the death of Christ demonstrates the love of God and prompts humanity to love in return. Kind of, let's follow his example kind of thing again. The number of views of what happened at the cross is varied, to say the least. Lots of different views on that. I fear that although there may be truth in some of them, they are highlighted or focused upon by those who see humanity's problem as the need for an example, as a lack of understanding, as a need for education. Therefore, Jesus supplies what I see as the need. Something, anything other than a payment for crimes for which we are guilty. Um, remember our premise as we walk through the five books. It all points to what Christ would do and why we need Him. And He made that point for Himself, didn't He? He said, um, uh, For if you believed in Moses, you would believe in Me, for He wrote of Me. Right? That's in John 5. Uh, Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus, he speaks to two disciples there, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He said in Matthew 5, Don't think that I've come to a... Don't, that's HCSB. That's the don't. Don't think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. It all speaks of Him. As we've noted before, the law in Leviticus is given to display the holy character of God and to answer the problem, how does a holy God dwell in the midst of an unholy people? The answer to that is foreshadowed throughout the whole book. We've seen it in some of the sacrifices. And in my view, I, just my understanding of the book, it's most clearly displayed in the Day of Atonement, where you have all of those elements working together in one day, especially with the picture of the scapegoat. If you've um, ever tried to, to explain the gospel to someone who's hostile to it, and you go to the idea of there's a, there's a substitution that's made, you, you may have faced some objections to that idea. Can you think of some of the objections somebody would have to someone else taking on the sins of another? You heard this? Has anybody ever objected to you about this? Some people say, well, he can't, he can't take care of my sins because my sins are mine. Right. Or he can't, you know, do something for me because... It's not fair, right? It's not fair that another person would bear my sin. In fact, it's immoral that another person would bear my sin. Now, um, the immediate apologetic response to that objection is three words By what standard? By what standard are you going to judge God and His fairness in determining that this is the way that He would reconcile Himself to people? But putting that aside, it kind of rings a little bit true, doesn't it? No, it's not fair. No, it's not fair. It does ring a little true. Doesn't it? I mean... Or are we so steeped in the uh, rudimentary language of the church that, oh, that's just not... If you think about it, putting your error, your crimes on another person doesn't seem fair. Um, some use, and the language may seem harsh here to us, but the criticism is nothing new. Even, even some professing Christians, will, liberal Christians, uh, will use the language that it's cosmic child abuse. Have you heard that language? Yeah. Dealing with the atonement? Christ willingly did it. 
There, there are those who hate this doctrine, right? They hate it. They'll, they'll gravitate toward, he, he, he came to show us how to love the poor. That's why he went to the cross. Because that's, their, that's the issue with humanity. It's, they argue that it's not fair. In fact, it's immoral for someone else to be punished for our crimes. Um, some are a little bit more nuanced. and They say, well, maybe love for Jesus to do it, to do it willingly. But how does that show that the Father loves? I mean, that's pretty cold for him to say, Let's, this is the way I'm going to do this by pouring this excruciating pain on another person because of what you did. He didn't deserve it. That's kind of cold-hearted, isn't it? How does, the lo- how does the Father show His love in the cross? Um, the idea that God must get His pound of flesh is obnoxious to non-believers. And these days, more and more Christians as well. He tells us to forgive <coughs> our enemies, and yet He doesn't. Right? He exacts payment How is that loving? Why wouldn't He just forgive us outright like He commands us to do? Do you feel the weight of these questions? Do these keep you up at night? What led to the cross? What was the ultimate reason? What was the ultimate cause for the cross? Demonstration of God's glory. Demonstration of God's glory in what way? What are the two elements specifically of God's glory or God's nature that are there at the cross? His holiness, or we say justice, right? His holy justice, we can combine them. It's all, it's all good. What else? And His love, mercy, love, we'll say love in this case. So we have justice, holy justice, and holy love. So we'll go holy both ways because that's the only character of God that's Professed three times. You know, he doesn't say love, love, love. It says holy, holy, holy. So we'll say holy justice and holy love are at issue at the cross. Well, why, why the justice? Um, Mark Dever, uh, in talking about this, uh, he, he be, I listened to a sermon a while back on atonement. And he does a great job in introducing it. He says this, What if you're a ruler known as a good guy but you don't take action against those who aren't good guys. We, I know we have no personal experience with that. What does it mean to say, I oppose murder and then refuse to punish murderers? What does it mean to bear responsibility to punish? Does anyone bear responsibility to punish? And he goes on to quote, something that was said during the time of one of the Roman emperors, it is indeed bad to live under a prince with whom nothing is permitted. But it is worse to live under a prince with whom everything is permitted or allowed. (laughs) That's the Rob Bell argument, isn't it? That's exactly right. Can we agree... And I'm looking around here, I'm thinking I'm probably in good audience here. Can we agree that it would have been just for God to condemn all of humanity for the crime of, um, I'm God, you're not? And it's basically what it is, it's treason. Is all humanity justly condemned? Yes, we agree? Anybody want to take the, uh, apparently the minority view? <laughs> Is that just? It's, it's not just it, 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 to, to let people continue. I mean, we have something in question. The minute, the minute God says, Adam, where are you? And his response to Adam's confession is, cursed is the ground? Justice would demand destroyed or you. Right? But God goes with curses the ground, and to the woman in pain you'll bear children. 
and, and, and the snake will be destroyed by someone later. Is that just? We call the word forbearance. You see that in Romans. He holds off on justice. Is God a pushover? Um, wh- why? Well, let me. This is a side note. I found this interesting. I was looking through this, and I can we agree that it would be just to condemn all the fall of humanity to an eternity of conscious torment in hell? Why eternal? Why would it be eternal? Jesus, what three hours on the cross, and he was done. Why eternal for humanity? Punishment fits the crime. Punishment fits the crime. Three hours, the entire, you know, we say it was sufficient for all humanity, efficient for some, but but it was sufficient for every, for three hours. Why why would I why would it take me an eternity to pay it back? Just my stuff. Because we're not eternal. Because we're not eternal. Son of God. Son of God is eternal. Here's another reason. All those are good reasons, uh, and probably the core reason. But an additional reason would be, even in my suffering, the punishment due to me, I would be sinning against God. I mean, Christ went to the cross and demonstrated, what does it look for a righteous man to bear punishment? An unrighteous man would still be cursing God for the pain and the suffering he's feeling. By nature, children of wrath and adding to the guilt, right? So there's, a, there's this justice that demands um, a constant payment. So like, in Levitical terms, our blood isn't good enough to do it. Right. If we were, if we were looking at Levitical terms, the blood of bulls and goats or tie would not be sufficient to, to deal with... Yeah. That's way too much cholesterol. Well... And it has nothing to do with cholesterol at all. It has to do with this nature of the heart, which may be fat with pride or whatever it is. But he did not forgive the fallen angels. He would be just to condemn all humanity. Peter said, uh, 2 Peter says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to, to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. So God didn't forgive angels. He didn't have to. He chose to do something for us. Is that just? He was under no obligation to spare us, but he did. And the New Testament grounds it in something. Um, this morning, Nathaniel came up to me. I was just getting, I just woke up, I was going to get my coffee. And he comes in there in the kitchen and, and says, um, Dad, being affectionate is a good thing, and gives me a hug. <laughs> it's a good, it, it's a good thing, Dad. It's it's because I'm like personal space guy, and he's it's a good thing. Gives me a hug, and we all go, oh, you know, that's love, and it is love. But love to us, we had this being affectionate, and idiot. I don't want to minimize that. It was a very sweet thing, but that's our. Impression of love is spontaneous personal space invasion. You know, that's that's our view of love. Nineteen years, Tammy says, that's love. Let me tell you, um, the the he did not he was not obligated to spare us. The New Testament grounds the reason he did because he loves us. There's a reason that John 3.16 is probably still the most loved verse in the church, and I know you rail against it because you're thinking there's a convention out there somewhere that's calling you a heretic that bears this verse. It's still true. Even though it's being misused, it's still true. For God so loved the world that He gave His... He didn't... in. Well, I guess he did kind of invade your personal space, didn't he? God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, from wherever, whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Once he determined to love us, the options are kill them all, we'll start over with something else, maybe, or 
set my love on them and something else has to happen. It wasn't necessary for him to send his son until he determined to love us. That's when it became necessary to send. Because it's really, that's the only way he's going to do it. Because his holy justice has to be upheld. And now his holy love is going to be demonstrated in Christ. Um, so like, because of our sin, Adam's sin, even the ground got cursed. So to completely start over, he would have to wipe out everything, which is what he's going to do. Well, he did, sort of, with Noah. Not completely. Well, the ground, the ground got chaotic again. But then I'm talking about like the new Jerusalem is going to be rebuilt and reestablished without sin once and for all. Okay. But in order to do that, because of his love, he had to have, there was the necessity of only Christ can do this. Substitutionary atonement. That's what I'm going for. And it was necessary simply because it's rooted and grounded in the love of God. Without the love of God, Wipe us out, including the atoms in the universe. With the love of God, the only option is Christ crucified. That's it. Why is that? What do you think? I've been doing Hebrews on Wednesday night. Because he's better than the sacrifice. He's better than sacrifice. He had to be made like his brothers in, in all ways, right? It was man that sinned. Man has to pay for it. Man can't pay for it. Bulls, goats, our blood, not enough. Because we'll continue. Man can't pay for it. I can't pay for myself. I sure can't pay for you. I sure can't pay for everyone. Man has to do it, and yet the infinite has to cover it all, right? God is eternal. So nothing but the incarnation would suffice. Um... He had to be fully God because only the infinite could satisfy the standards of justice. Both love and justice were the ultimate causes of the atonement and equally important. All right, back to our objection. Why won't God just forgive his enemies? The answer is he does forgive his enemies. What is the basis of upon which we are told to forgive each other. Because He's forgiven us. Ephesians 4, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. That's the grounding of how we're to relate to one another. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as Christ, God in Christ has, uh, forgave you. Ephesians 4.32 We are to forgive whatever people have committed against us, and the reason for that is that God has extended forgiveness to us. Why is He just to do so? Because His Son paid the penalty. When God judges and punishes sins, He's not repaying evil for evil. He's being the ruler who upholds justice, right? He's being the judge that says, you're going to pay for this and not just walk free. When he punishes sins, he's being a good ruler. He's not repaying for evil. His judgment is good. It is just for him to punish sin, just like it is just for a judge and jury to punish a murderer. The justice, incidentally, that we seek in society finds its grounding in the justice of God. As the standard, he he's just, right? He's the lawgiver and he's the judge. The justice that we seek in society finds its root in the justice of God. It may be just. It may be just to crucify Christ as a penalty for sin, but is it loving? Is it loving? Um, I could see it being an act of love for Jesus, but is it loving for the Father to do that? Yeah. I, I think of an analogy of a uh, husband and wife and kids in a house and a, a burglar breaks in to harm them. And if the Father 
kills the person that's breaking in trying to harm his family, he's not doing it out of hatred for that person, he's doing it out of love for his family. And so I think the same analogy applies, is that God the Father is doing it out of love for the Son and for pride. But in that analogy, he doesn't kill the burglar, he kills his own son. Is that loving? Relationship of the Trinity. Ah. And that the, the Father loves the Son and promises him a people. Uh-huh. For his sacrifice, the Son loves the Father and willingly lays down his life. And the Spirit loves the Father and the Son and assists in, in bringing people, calling people, transforming their hearts. If, and let's set up the problem a little more. That's exactly right. Let's set up the problem a little bit more. If you did something to me, Okay, you did something to me, and I grabbed Taylor and said, I forgive you, I love you, and so I'm going to punch out Taylor. <laughs> Would that be loving? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Only if Taylor said, punch me instead. <laughs> you, you would wonder... How that's an act of love for me. Taylor would wonder why that's an act of love for me to forgive you by punching him out. It, it might be uh, that, that his love, if he offered to be punched out uh, on your behalf, it might be, you know, but not so much an act of my love. How is it loving for the Father to crush Jesus for us? Isaiah said it pleased God, it pleased the Father to crush Christ. It pleased him to do it. Is he sadistic? What is going on there? How is that loving? And you're exactly right. It's not just another person we're talking about. I'm not grabbing some random person off the street and hanging them on a cross. That's not what God was doing. I'm not even grabbing somebody separate and apart from me. <laughs> this makes no sense at all, unless we have an understanding of the Trinity. It makes no sense. God is one in being, three in person. God became a man himself and took upon himself his own just punishment. The love of God makes no sense here if we don't, go, if we don't ground it in an understanding of the Trinity. Jesus is God he isn't just an innocent third party. He's the judge. He's the lawgiver. He's God. Greg Kuckel says it this way. He is the judge himself suffering. The one who determines the punishment takes the punishment. The one who passes judgment receives it. And that's how the New Testament authors describe this. All of the... the the beauty of God's justice and, and the beauty of His love is grounded in God in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. That's why it's loving. Yeah, it's not like He's completely disinterested in mankind. When He created us, He breathed His own breath into us. So there is that, there was that connection. And then when we broke that connection, the goal now is redemption. And like Tammy said, we're uh, uh, God promised His Son a bride, and that's who we are. So that's what He's going to do. But but as for what He's putting forth as punishment, it's it's Him bearing His own punishment. Well, it's the only way that that's possible. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. And 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 if well, go ahead. I'm going to use a different analogy. Okay. Maybe this one will, I don't think any analogy holds up. No, it doesn't. God's unique. Um, a father <laughs> spanks his own son. He doesn't take pleasure in spanking his own son, but he takes pleasure in spanking his son because he knows the betterment of what that's going to do for him and for the rest of, uh, like, a son will grow up to be a father and will grow up to take care of a family, etc. But he can't do that unless he's spanked by his own dad to get him to that place. So I think the same thing is God the Father putting, putting Christ on the cross is, is kind of the same analogy. But Christ didn't deserve the spanking. Right? 
but he bought it for his That might be a better picture of discipline rather than. But it also explains the love of how a father. How he can be pleased in doing it. Yeah. That's 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 the that's the particular point that you're going toward is that he's pleased. How he can be pleased in doing it. The goal is redemption. The goal is redemption. It's the, it's the redemption between the father and the son. Okay. In our case, it's the redemption between the church and uh, God. I think it was more ever to uh, in a book put it. He asked the question, why why can't you, if I was perfect. Or not perfect, but mm -hmm. you were. Mm -hmm. Say you were perfect. Why couldn't you atone for my sin? Mm -hmm. and why wouldn't that be okay? Actually, and, that that could work. If there was one perfect man, he could die for one other person. The reason he gives but, it. I'm sorry, go ahead. But it, but but it would, or maybe he could just die for his own self. Well, but even he that. Yeah. The reason he says in the book that that wouldn't work is because. The offended is not. Uh, it, it has to be the offended that oh, takes the punishment. Mm -hmm. Okay, because I see what you're saying. You did nothing. Right. He's the one that's being offended. Right. It's loving if the one who has been offended does something to reconcile the relationship, versus taking out the righteous judgment on someone else who wasn't even part of the transaction. Yeah. Right. That makes a lot of sense. And so we have here. It doesn't make sense unless God is triune. Right. Because not only is He offered as a sacrifice, He's the one who's been offended. Christ has been offended. The Father's been offended. The Spirit's been offended by our constant rebellion. And so the Father, in His role, takes on, I'll receive the payment, but He does it in love knowing what the transaction is going to be. The Son takes on the penalty, but He does it in love. And the Spirit renews them and bears fruit of them, as the Shadowland says. Okay, the New Testament talks about this in, it, again and again and again in terms of Trinity. Be kind to one another. We've already seen this. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. He's not a disinterested third party. It's not an investment opportunity for Him to get a church. This is God in Christ. Um, 2 Corinthians 5. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself. There's a textual note possibly at the bottom of your Bible that says, God was in Christ reconciling not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Put a pin in that. 1 John 4, 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. In the Christian worldview, the very meaning of love is rooted and grounded in this. We love because He first loved us. We don't understand love apart from that. Or we really shouldn't. I mean, sometimes it involves invasion of personal space. But that's the grounding of it. We love because He first loved us. John says elsewhere uh, in First John... We love because he first loved. Of course, Nathaniel. Yes. We love because he first loved Gus when he was little bitty. All right. It is precisely because God is love that He has made a way for sinful men to be forgiven, and His holy justice to be upheld at the same time. Because of this, Paul writes that God could be both the just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. Is that cosmic child abuse? No. Hardly. To make that objection, you have to get the cross wrong. You have to get Christology wrong, who is Jesus. You have to get theology proper wrong, who is God. Uh, you have to get the nature of love and justice wrong. And it's an argument that we make every day when we don't forgive one another. 1 John also says this, whoever says he is in the light 
and hates his brother is still in darkness. Why is that? Because we don't get the atonement. We don't get who God is reconciling the world to himself. If we did, we would be ministers of reconciliation rather than those who hang on to hate. But whoever hates his brother in the darkness is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. 1 John 3, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. A murderer is the antithesis of what godly character is. And hating your brother, not being a minister of reconciliation, displays the opposite of what God has done. Hanging on to that grudge, hanging on to that bitterness, is functionally saying, I don't get the cross, I don't get Christology, I don't get love and justice, I don't get theology proper. You can't be there, you can't stay there. And call yourself that I'm saying I'm walking in the light. You're not. I'm not. When I, if I live there, I'm displaying the opposite of what is seen at the cross. God became a man himself and took upon himself his own punishment. That's how we're to forgive. It costs us something. Um, and the grounding of that is what we see in the cross. I, I once talked to somebody who said, I get so tired of hearing sermons about the cross. Just over and over and over again, all about the cross, the cross, the cross, the cross, the cross. And in fairness, he may be, have gotten a little tired of hearing bad sermons about the cross. But that's the core issue. That's why we're here. That's why we're still breathing. We can't overanalyze it. We can't dwell on it too much because in doing so, not only does it make us appreciate who God is, but it functionally does something to the heart that, that how we relate to each other is based upon that. Toward believers, we are to live as though the other's offense is already forgiven in Christ because it is. That doesn't mean that we don't seek accountability, even church discipline when it's necessary. But it is from a motive of wanting to see that person back in proper fellowship with God and with his people, not to see them punished. The punishment has been taken care of by the love and justice of God. Toward unbelievers, we are to live in the hope of God showing them mercy in Christ, acting from our point of view as if he will. Forgiveness from the heart toward, rooted in God, in Christ, reflecting the love of God that was made manifest at the cross. Paul said to the Corinthians he had nothing, he'd resolved to do nothing but preach Christ crucified to them. There is a simplicity to that that I think sometimes we recoil against. We want to go into... And I'm not saying this is bad. These are, again, it's again dwelling on the cross and what happened there. But go into all the little permutations of election, atonement, irresistible grace. All the little permutations of how that's supposed to look in our ecclesiology, our polity, elder-led, elder-ruled, congregation, mob rule, whatever. All the different things that we can explore and do this stuff, it's all there. And yet, we, we, we still, I think, many times avoid coming back here because it causes us. It, it challenges us. I know I don't display that well. What's wrong with my theology? What's wrong with my Christology? What's wrong with my understanding of the cross that I harbor things? And first, John, that, and I, I tell you, that's why, for, and Philip's preaching through it, 
God bless him. Because he wrestles with it all week to get to that point. And I, I read it for a day thinking, how can I be a Christian knowing what I still cling to? Right? What's wrong with my theology? What's wrong with my Christology? What's I'm still... This is the core issue. Love is this. This is how it's manifested. All right. Without the cross, there is no love. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. I have a spreadsheet, I think, of everybody's trespasses against me. I, it's totaled, quantified, color-coded, the whole thing. And yet, God is not counting trespasses against me. Who am I to hang on to stuff? I was thinking about that a little bit this week, and how sick we get with um, we're saved into the body of Christ, therefore we are Christ-like, or we're becoming Christ-like, so therefore we're holy in essence. So then we think when somebody offends us, they're offending holiness. I'm holy. They've offended me, so they need to repay what they've done to redeem this relationship. That's so stupid. <laughs> we don't have any right to say that. Yeah. Like we're, like we're the offender. And go ahead. I was just going to say when you were talking about holy justice and holy love, I think we all want holy justice yeah. for ourselves. For ourselves. But we don't want to display holy love. Right. We don't want to do something that costs us, and we don't want to do something that's inconvenient or. If if I offend Tammy, it, just an if, if I offend Tammy, the offense is not to Tammy, but to God. Right? Ultimately, I'm not my own. Let's do it the other way. Let's, let's create the real impossibility. Tammy offends me somehow. I am not my own. I am bought with a price. The offense is not to me. It's to God. That doesn't mean that there, there may not need to be an, an accountability issue there. Hey, when you do this, you're not displaying Jesus. We need to work on this. That, that, that may be there. That's what we do in, in church. We hold each other accountable. We call each other out on sin. We say, push forward. You need to be grounded in who the justice of God and the holiness of God. We do that. That's fine. But the punishment, if I hold on to it with her, if I pounce on her with, quote, accountability from a from a position of, I'm going to thump you as God in Christ has thumped me. <laughs> right? That's not displaying the love of God, and it's really not good for the relationship at all. It's, it's really like that parable of the, the guy who was forgiven like a million bucks, and then a guy owed him a hundred bucks, and he had him thrown in jail for it. Right. That idea of, do we really get what we've been forgiven for? get the kind of love that's been lavished on us. If that's the case, if that kind of love has been lavished upon us, Paul goes on and says, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. How's that going? <laughs> I can see that if you truly believe in a works based salvation, but if you're going to believe in free grace, like you, there's nothing there. I mean, you haven't done anything to achieve your status of righteousness. So, somebody offends you, then so what? You didn't do anything to get there anyway. It was just a gift of God. So, holding on to the... Okay, I see what you're saying. I was on something else. So, you're saying that holding on to a grudge, then, is you, you're not getting free grace. Yeah. You're not realizing the millions of dollars you've been forgiven, and you're hanging on to the pennies that you're owed. If you believe in, well, I worked so hard to get here to righteousness. Right. And somebody offends that, then they, they discounted all of my work. Right. You don't get proper theology, you don't get Christology, you don't get the cross by, by holding on to that. And at this, by the flip it then, I'm forgiven. I can treat my brother however I want to. Also, not getting the cross, not getting God's justice, not getting the love of God and, and theology proper. Um, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. 
And Paul says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And then he goes into substitutionary atonement. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Both hands placed on him the confession of the sins of the people. He made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We're ambassadors of God's love and His justice, resolved at the cross. So the call is, if we're going to talk about atonement and relish that and um, exult in that and worship God based upon what He's done on the cross, the call is, be who you are in Christ. Ambassadors, ministers of reconciliation, because Christ, God in Christ loved you first. How I treat others displays my understanding of the cross. How I forgive others displays my understanding of the cross. If I offend, I need to be quick to make it right. From the heart, not just doing this perfunctory, oh, I said I'm sorry. It's got to be from the heart. And quick about it. If I am offended, I'll talk to you in a week. I need some alone time. What? God in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That's the heart by which we have to live. Any questions, any comments? I know I went along. long. wants to say if you're not sorry, don't fake it. I admit that you're not sorry. And then you can get there. I mean... We're, we're, we're all not perfect. We're not perfect. We don't have this whole forgiveness thing down. So it's okay to admit that. I think that's when you pray, God, I know I need to Yeah, but I just, honestly, I just don't right <laughs> Don't feel it. Yeah. That's why theology matters. That's right. And like, I was thinking of uh, when I went to that interfaith retreat, I was talking to a rabbi, and he could not... But he could not accept atonement. Mm. He used an illustration that that some Christians use about traffic tickets and the judge pays for the traffic tickets. Mm. And it's not a real good illustration Mm-mm. because he he took that as being injustice. Mm-hmm. And so it it taught me that you know we really need to be careful about what we're thinking mm-hmm. and how we use illustrations. Right. Analogies are very dangerous things sometimes. Yeah. You wander into heresy. You start using analogies on the Trinity, you will get into heresy every time. <laughs> that's modalism, Patrick. I mean, that's the whole thing. Uh, and it's the same thing, I think, with the atonement. The traffic example is one I've used, but it makes no sense apart from the Trinity. It's unjust. It's unjust, apart from an understanding of the Trinity. And that's a unique situation. You don't see that in traffic court. The judge is not one in being, but multiple in persons with the guy who's going to take your traffic ticket. It's just not, that doesn't work that way. But God in Christ does. It also just brings from the importance of how much God loves His image, mm. that we were made in His image, and how much He's how much effort he's willing to go to to restore that image mm-hmm. in us. And that he does call us to, now that we're his, it's not just like, well, Christ forgave me and I'm good. He calls us to strive to be holy. Right. Strive to look more like him so that we are ambassadors in this world. Right. And, and, and you know, it's, it's the same thing. In, in a, I'm going to use an analogy, I'm sorry. In a similar way, how we tell our kids... What you do brings honor or dishonor on the family, right? What we do brings honor or dishonor to Christ. What we do brings honor or dishonor to the church. And the, so we think of it in those terms. But the, the core issue is, is the cross. All right, it's 1015, and we could keep going. This is why whole books, volumes, have been written on the atonement. And I'm going to try to talk it with you in 40 minutes or less, which never happens. Okay. Let's, uh, can we pray? Let's pray. This topic is too big for us, Father. It's overwhelming. 
that you would love us. That's overwhelming. And that you would show it by taking on yourself, by putting forward Christ, fully God, fully man, to take on our sin. It's overwhelming. Even in Christ, I find it difficult to display that. It ain't natural. But I thank you that because of what you've done for us in Jesus, you've given us your Spirit, who is transforming us day by day by day to make our practice line up with what we profess to believe. We do it imperfectly. But I pray, Father, that by your Spirit we would do it better and better and better each day as a worship to you, as a a thankful gesture, which is really all it is, to you. That we would, in some way, display the beauty of your holy justice meeting your holy love at that juncture in human history. Somehow we could display that to each other and therefore give a deeper meaning to the cross. In some way we could display that to an unbeliever and you would use that to impress upon them a more authentic meaning of the cross. I fear it's become too trite in our culture to say Jesus died for my sins. I love the line from that hymn that says, In my place condemned he stood. Because of that, would you help us to love each other and forgive each other as God in Christ has forgiven us? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.